Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Thrilled to be opening the 2018 season of Game Changers with great fresh new content. And this is the future of the future. And what better way to start our new season? So let's see what the buzz on the street is. Well, we found a quote from Dean Kamen, K-A-M-E-N. He doesn't really have a Twitter handle that he uses, so I'm not going to tweet this. But you might be interested that he's an American engineer inventor and businessman. He's best known for his invention of the Segway, S-E-G-W-A-Y. Look it up. He also invented an insulin pump called Auto Syringe, a brilliant visionary and inventor. What's the quote? Listen up. This is going to set the pace for the show today. Every once in a while, a new technology, an old problem, and a big idea turn into an innovation. I couldn't think of a better way to kick off the season talking about the future of the future. Our topic today, IT trends for 2018 and 2019. Yes, the trends might go for two years, what they mean to your business and your personal life. Let's see who's with us on the show today. By the way, we'll be touching on topics like, you know, blockchain and AI, machine learning, IoT. They are transforming the organizations where you work, the businesses you do business with, and our personal lives. Think of, hmm, Amazon Dash button. Is there a self-driving car coming to a garage near you? Do you have a Nest thermostat? Are you using a smartwatch to monitor your health and talk directly to your doctor? Siri, Alexa, all those good things. The future is nearer than we think. I have a panel of experts. They all are veterans of Game Changers Radio. They've got a lot to say. Let me tell you who they are, and then I will introduce them with their quotes. First up, we're thrilled to have back Timo Elliott at SAP. Joining him is Gray Scott, one of our favorite futurists, and Paul Lewis at Hitachi Americas, and he also goes by Hitachi Ventara USA. So let me start off with Timo Elliott. Timo has decided to do a song parody. Timo, we've never had this done before in Six and a half years of Game Changers and a thousand shows. This is the first time. Anybody remember a musical called Annie Get Your Gun, 1950? Well, probably nobody around is going to remember it. Then it was a song called Anything You Can Do, composed by Irving Berlin, Broadway musical, actually, 1946. Um, the the topic that the way he, Timo wants to phrase this is... Anything you can do, I, parenthetically, AI, can do better. So let me sing that, Timo. Please don't kill me here. Anything you can do, AI can do better. Timo, you got to rescue me. <laughs> Happy New Year. How are you? <laughs> Hello, everyone. That was great. That was certainly much better than I could sing it. So. Well, thank you. Yeah. You're, you're way too kind. Timo, I'm thrilled that you picked this up. It's such an oldie, such a goodie. I won't say a moldy, a goldie. And, and you had the nerve to actually write a little parody with two little letters of an Irving Berlin song, and that takes what my people call chutzpah. So I'd love to know, what do you have in mind to set the tone for our show about the future as we are seeing it right now. Timo, go ahead. 
There's so much going on, Bonnie, but I do believe that the big trend for this year and the year after will be artificial intelligence and machine learning. It's uh, been a hot topic for a while, but it's just getting hotter. 2018, we'll see self-driving everything, every product, service, business process, almost whatever you can think of, will start using the power of these machine learning algorithms and big data to automatically get better as people use them. So imagine, Bonnie, that your show gets automatically better the more people listen to it. That's the kind of thing that we're going to see (laughs) in uh, every industry and vertical. Timo, I love that, and I have to make a little announcement here. Uh, some of you might have heard this on some of our prediction specials on Coffee Break. We reached over 925,000 people around the world with our Game Changers shows last year, and that is a quadruple of the listenership from just a couple of years ago. So are we getting better, Timo? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> uh, well, of course. Okay. There you like those algorithms. There you go. Thank you so much. Great introduction. And Gray Scott, you're up next. And Gray is quoting Terence McKenna, one of his favorite people to be quoted. McKenna lived from 1946 to 2000. He was actually born at the time when Irving Berlin was writing the musical, Annie, Get Your Gun. Gray Scott, that's an odd coincidence. He was an American ethnobotanist. Never heard of that. A mystic, a psychonaut. N-A-U-T, a lecturer, an author, and an advocate for the responsible use of naturally occurring psychedelic plants. We'll just leave that alone. He was called the Timothy Leary of the 90s. Here's the quote, nothing comes unannounced, but many can miss the announcement. Hello, Gray. Welcome. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Bonnie. I'm glad to be back. Well, thank you. We're looking forward to a lot. Actually, you're going to be my guest next week on Coffee Break on another future topic. So, so this is you're helping me kick off the season for at least two shows this month. So, Gray, you told me Terrence McKenna is one of your favorite people to quote. What's so special about this quote for our topic today? Well, it's interesting because in the beginning, Terrence was really interested in consciousness. And toward the end of his life, he became sort of a futurist. He was really interested in the computer He wanted to understand how technology was changing the consciousness that he had been studying for all of this time. So his projection was that this was going to alter the world, that that the computer was going to alter the world. I mean, he was just at the beginning of the computer revolution when he was saying that. He died soon after. So I think he would be really amused at all the things that have happened. And would he be amused to know that we're on an internet radio show, Gray, quoting him over <laughs> a wire, all over the world? Would he say, really? We were just starting email in the early 1990s. Would he say, mm-hmm. what? Internet radio? What would his reaction be? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I've incorporated a lot of his sort of philosophies into my work as well. And sort of looking at it from his point of view and sort of taking that forward, it's interesting because what we're, what we're really doing is creating an ecosystem, a digital ecosystem, um, the same kinds of ecosystems that you find in forests and within nature. So those things, I think he would, he would see the connection there. And um, you, you and I have talked about the connection between those two things on other shows. Okay. Well, thank you, and thanks for bringing such an interesting quote to kick off this season. I appreciate it, Gray. We have a lot more to hear from you, and now let's bring on who's waiting so patiently in the wings, Paul Lewis at Hitachi Americas. Paul, before I read the quote, tell me, what is Hitachi Vantara USA? I haven't heard that term before. What does it mean? 
Sure. Well, Hitachi Vantara is a uh, an amalgamation of a series of the technology side of Hitachi Limited Organization. So we brought together the infrastructure side of our business, what we refer to as the IT side, plus the OT side, where we would uh, build solutions from sort of edge to outcomes, and then the analytics side, where we could do the hardcore uh, machine learning, mathematical and statistical algorithms to bring all that data together to solve you know, real-world complex problems. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And that's what the world needs is somebody or something to solve real-world complex problems because we live in a very complex world. So there. So the quote you sent me is from Walt Disney. I like it. We've heard it before, and I think it applies very nicely to our show. You say, in the words of Walt Disney, quote, You can design and create and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it takes people to make the dream a reality. Paul? Talk to me about IT trends a little bit. What does this have to do with our topic in your words? Well, this is about IT for IT, right? We, we as technologists tend to, you know, use our intellectual capital to create something interesting. The reality is we build these things for the purpose of solving a problem. And most of these problems are people problems, right? Uh, somebody wants to do something faster, cheaper, better. They want to do something else while a machine does it on their behalf. Everything we do is for people. That's it. People consume it. People buy it. Uh, it's not just technology for technology's sake. Very interesting. Uh, and at the point where we move into AI at a, a very high level where it's doing so much for us, it's doing our jobs completely, it's making our innovations, it's inventing things, maybe consulting us but not directly or not to our knowledge. Um, how would we How would we adjust that quote? It's a people thing. Is it the people who created the bots and created the AI? Any, any way you want to spin that for me? I think it's both. I think it's people's expertise, both academic and experience, is needed to build those interesting things, including the artificial intelligence required to park a car or even move a car autonomously. And then there's people who consume those products. So instead of uh, learning to drive, you're going to learn to sit and navigate. Uh, So those are very different sort of people experiences. So it's both the creator experience requires people and the consumer experience requires people. Very elegant. Very nicely done. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And now let's go back to Timo Elliott. Timo, we want to know where you're calling from or where do we call you today? And you know the drill. We want to know either what's in your cup today that keeps you smiling because you have a wonderful smile in all of your pictures and or what were you drinking over the holidays that made you very happy? Timo? All right. So uh, in my hand, Bonnie, uh, I have a cup of Genmaicha tea. So I'm doubling down on the puns today. I've got another AI in there. Um, my wife, my wife is half uh, half Japanese. So there we go. Japanese tea with AI included. Very nice, boy. You're you're really on top of that today, uh, Timo. Where are you today? Where do we find you? I am in the most beautiful city in the world, Paris, and it is a sunny but kind of cloudy afternoon here. And what about temperature? Can you give it to me in uh, Fahrenheit so I know what you're talking about? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> European through and through. I'm sorry. We stumped the panelist. Okay, maybe somebody can tell. So what is it over there in whatever you're measuring? Celsius? In Celsius, it's got to be, I don't know, 18. Somebody can help me out here. Okay, Celsius, 18 
Celsius degrees in Fahrenheit. I will I will uh, Google that while we're talking, and let's see. Let's see. We, we have a table. Somebody's going to do this for me. Okay. Christine is listening. Maybe she can do it for us. Uh, anyway, Celsius it's, it's 18. It's a good temperature to come and be a tourist in Paris. 18 Fahrenheit. It's not working on my Celsius converter. Okay, we'll have to do it another time. Uh, I would love to come and visit you in Paris. And now let's go to Gray Scott. Gray, are you in New York today? Your usual haunt? Or where are you and what are you loving to drink? Anything new this year? That's right, Bonnie. I'm in New York City and uh, I think we're expecting snow this evening. Oh, dear. Yep. And you're getting the same weather pattern. I'm in Durham, North Carolina, and we're probably just three or four degrees warmer than you. We won't get the kind of snow you got last week or the week before, but I will tell you the Mm. pond outside my window here was very, very frozen for almost a week, and the ducks were walking on the ice rather than swimming Mm. in the frigid water. So there. And drink, drink, drink. What What did you have over the holiday? I actually had soup over the holidays. I, I had I came down with uh, a cold right before the holidays, so I've been drinking soup for the last two weeks. And is how's that working out for you? It's been great. <laughs> Good. And you want to give a soup recipe or a place that you get it? We would love to know. Soup is a drink, right? We can deal with that. Well, I'm pescatarian, so no meat. So it's just a vegetable broth. And uh, I spent the holidays in Connecticut, my house in Connecticut. And now I'm back in New York feeling better, and this morning I'm drinking uh, coconut water. Oh, that sounds interesting. Any extra flavor in it or just straight out of the coconut water bottle? No, it comes from young baby coconuts. <laughs> okay, well, bless their little souls. Okay, thank you very much, Gray, and I'm glad you're feeling better. We need you well because you're going to be doing a lot of Game Changers Radio. That's my prediction. And now let's get to Paul Lewis again at Hitachi Ventara. Paul, where are you today, and what's your favorite drink for the holiday and or what are you drinking well, I'm, now? I'm in Toronto today. It is uh, 22 degrees Fahrenheit, but, of course, we go by Celsius, too, so that's 6 degrees, minus 6 degrees. Uh, I was also in Paris over the holidays, uh, but I was also in Italy, I was also in Malta, I was also in Barcelona, and it ranged from um, uh, 10 degrees Celsius to 15 degrees Celsius, and when I landed back in Toronto, it was minus 25 degrees Celsius, it was a relatively large swing. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, well, thank you very much, all three of you. And what did I drink? I I think uh, one of you or a couple of you might have been on our predictions specials, part one, two, three, or four, and you heard me say probably that I was drinking eggnog right out of the carton because I allowed myself the treat of really good eggnog. Supermarket bought, but I got to tell you, whoever mixed it, it was just wonderful. So that was my holiday drink. And right now I'm back to the usual, just cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a green straw. And the green straw is for hoping spring will come to all of our climate soon and we can see something pretty growing outside instead of snow and ice. There was ice on the garbage can. Today was garbage pickup, and that's all I can tell you. So whatever you're thinking about, we want you to stick with us. This is the future of the future with Game Changers Radio. Our topic today is IT trends 2018-2019. Yes, that's a two-year stretch. What they mean to your business and your personal life. We have three experts in this field, and it's a broad field. Timo Elliott at SA. Gray Scott at Gray Scott, uh, SeriousWonder.com, and the host of some very interesting new radio broadcasts, and Paul Lewis at Hitachi Ventara. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Count them, 90 seconds. We'll be right back. Aaron out.
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. An unprecedented pace of change, driven by exciting technology advances like the Internet of Things, is disrupting your industry and every other industry around the globe. Your future business success will be influenced by your ability to understand and harness these innovations and many more. Mobile devices instantaneously connecting the world populations, robotics, 3D printing, and self-driving cars. The sharing economy and ubiquitous global business networks. Reality Check. The future is happening right now. Join us for insights from industry experts on what it all means for your business and your daily life. The Future of the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of the future with Game Changers. Exactly. The future of the future. It just happened a second ago. Before I finished that sentence, it's gone now. It's the past. So let's talk to our special guests, Timo Elliott, Grace Scott, and Paul Lewis. Timo's going to start off the roundtable, and here are some notes Timo sent me before the show, talking about self-driving everything. And Timo says, quote, 2018 will see the first real transition away from the systems we've always had that require human analysis and conscious upgrades. Instead, we'll see the rapid growth of product services and business processes that automatically get better as more people use them. I think you alluded to this in the opening. Timo, we'd love to hear more. Go ahead. So the key to this is obviously artificial intelligence and specifically machine learning. So machine learning is all about algorithms that automatically improve themselves based on data. But finally, we're getting the data we need and the computer power we need to make the dream a reality so that whenever you've got a system or a process, up until now, if you wanted to fix that, then you actually had to write rules or software or somebody had to analyze it and try and improve it. Now, machine learning can start doing that for us. If you think about it, human experts... We learn from doing by trial and error. We're patent matching machines. Artificial intelligence and machine learning is actually taking those kinds of techniques and applying it to computing and business processes. So over time, if you're in finance or home automation or you're trying to organize traffic or human resources, whatever business you're in, there are a number of processes that involve complex, repetitive decisions that human beings have learned how to time over time how to deal with. Now mm-hmm. we can start relying on computers to do that. And the big upside is that they get better automatically. Every time there's an exception, some invoice doesn't match a bank payment, then a human being has to step in today, but the algorithm will learn from that and get it right next time. So it really is a big change to how we're going to think about business in the future. 
Timo, before I bring in Gray and Paul to talk about this, self-driving everything, when I hear that statement, I think of self-driving cars, obviously. So my question to you is, in something like that, it just makes people nervous that we'll wait for the car to self-correct. And <laughs> what, what's, what's that bridge coming up? Is it open? OMG. How many people are in the back of that car? Any, any quick comments about when you, you, you chose the term self-driving? So I'm going to just ask you to comment on that because I think that's what people think about when they hear it. And then, of course, we'll bring in Gray and Paul. Any, any thoughts you want to share on that? Sure, yeah. So to, to use an analogy, um, think about Tesla, for example. Their self-driving cars are gathering vast amounts of big data using sensors, and then they're using algorithms and machine learning to provide that self-driving experience. But Tesla is doing one more thing, which is they've essentially turned themselves into a massively parallel learning machine. Each car is gathering information about the street it's on, sharing it with headquarters, and then that's being shared with every other car on the street so that your Tesla car knows how to navigate even if it's never been on that street before. This means that as more people drive more kilometers, more miles, the whole system is automatically getting better. So without Tesla having to do anything explicitly, that driving experience is constantly improving. So that's what we mean by self-driving, self-improving, and it's going to apply to everything. Thank you. Thanks for the clarification. I feel much more comfortable now. Gray Scott, love to get your thoughts on this. What do you think, self-driving everything? You see it? I do see it, and I think that what we're going to see in the near future are self-driving stores. We're going to see what? self-driving hotels. What? We're going to see... Uh, what I've been calling the, no, the digital nomads, the idea that um, everything that we do today in a physical space can just show up at your door and be a part of your experience in travel, right? So the other thing I want to talk about quickly here is the idea of insanity and doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, which is what humans mm-hmm. are good at. We do that all the time. But AI doesn't do that. AI learns from one mistake and changes the algorithm. So that's why you're seeing, <clears throat> if you see, let's say Tesla had uh, you know, one or two accidents, those specific accidents will probably never happen again because the AI has learned and it changes every single car that's on the road that's driverless. So people don't really respond that way. And so what we're seeing is, is a quick transition of learning. We're, we're seeing a very rapid change in the way that AI understands how to deal with specific, uh, you know, accidents or situations. Thank you, Gray. Very interesting. Uh, yes, the definition of insanity, the way you threw it in there, just threw me for a loop for a second, but you're probably right, and that's an argument about people worried about robots taking over our jobs. What are those jobs? And I know there's a school of thought that says we are we are uh, killing the, the mental and spiritual capabilities of civilization with meaningless created, they call them BS jobs, actually. Timo, you may have seen that article in The Digitalist, and I just did the voiceover for it last week, so we can talk about that another time. Paul Lewis at Hitachi, love to get your thoughts on this. So I absolutely agree. I think this is self-driving. Everything will be part and parcel of, of sort of the enterprise. Uh, it, it's key to remember here that it's, it's two big parts, right? It's the science or the algorithms that need to learn over time, and that, that requires a relatively uh, academic appreciation, both academic and mathematics and sort of the scientific method. Uh, programming, the understanding of the business, the understanding of the machines. 
But let's not forget about the data side. And it's not just data in its bits and bytes form, but data is significantly different in a world when we talk about machines, right? It's video when we talk about self-driving. I got to collect a lot of video information, learn from that, or audio information to figure out the best response in a contact center. Or it might be uh, picture files, you know, vision, computer visioning so that I can predict and see what's happening on the road, tell that it's a stop sign and be able to turn right or left on that stop sign. It is that complexity of data that has to be created at each one of these machines that actually is the complex part, not necessarily the academic algorithm, but both of them have to come together. You need the science, the algorithms, and the newly created data uh, to, to make these things possible. Thank you very much. Timo, I'm going to circle around to you since you introduced this very hot topic. Anything you want to add in response to what your panelist colleagues have just said? Um, I think I think I, well, I trust agree with everything everybody said that the the key to all this is how we react as people. The technology is very powerful, and it's up to us to make the most of it. But that requires some changes. Okay, we'll get to that later. Thank you very much, Grace Scott. I have two choices here in what you want to talk about. Uh, we could talk about the war emerging within the digital cosmos, or we could talk about blockchain technologies that could create. Economic equality, which goes back to my comment about and yours about insanity, repetitive jobs, wasting the mm-hmm. human spirit on BS jobs. Where would you like to go? And then I'll read that one. Gray, what's your choice? Well, I, I think the blockchain is uh, relevant here. Okay, so let me read a couple notes here. You say blockchain technologies could create economic equality. However, are we ready for equality, and then you add governments, corporations, and social media companies need to accept that they may not be able to control data in the future. The game is changing. Talk to me, Gray. Very interesting. All yours. Well, it's interesting because the the idea of blockchain and being able to 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 use blockchain technologies in every industry, really, that is talking about game-changing, that is world-changing. That's paradigm-changing technologies. And it sort of ties into the first comment about the, the digital cosmos, the idea that there's this, this war going on in the digital space where, you know, the, the blockchain community wants privacy, right? They mm-hmm. want to decentralize. They want to own their data. They want to have control over their data. They want that to be autonomous and anonymous, and they want to own that themselves instead of having to go rent it from a corporation. And so you have that side of it, and then you have the side that wants to own the data. And both of these sides want efficiency. And efficiency, I think, is, is at the heart of the blockchain. So somewhere in those three components, the idea of owning data, keeping your data private, and efficiency, we have to merge those three ideas not just us individually, but us as corporations, governments, all of those entities have to be able to understand blockchain, implement it in a way that allows people to decentralize their data, own it, and control it for themselves. Now, what that does to the world of work, that's a whole other subject. But what I will say about that is that there are a lot of human beings on this planet that are working in situations they, they would rather not be in. So why not embrace these technologies and allow those people to free themselves from these meaningless jobs, the jobs that are dangerous, and allow them to pursue their dreams? We've, we've sort of touched on this on other shows, but mm-hmm. that, is the, that is the hope for the future, is that we will be freed from 
the drudgery and sort of move towards uh, creating our dreams. And I tell you, innovation comes from that space. It doesn't, you, you don't get innovation by forcing someone to do something. You get innovation from someone that will work for free because they love what they do. They have a passion for what they do. So that's really what we want to look for even within the blockchain community is, is those people are willing to work for free to make this work. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. We are stepping into many different topics from this point. Uh, Paul Lewis, I'm going to ask you to chime in here. What do you think? Sure. I definitely agree. Blockchain technology is interesting in that it's much more about community ownership, but individual control, right? There's a federated model where multiple banks or multiple manufacturers or multiple supply chains or multiple individuals can manage information across their own community, but they control the data themselves. They control the crypto, they control what data that they want to put on the chain or keep off chain. Uh, So it gives you sort of both of those dimensions, which is interesting. And it's actually the paradox on things like big data, where in a big data sense, the control has moved the privacy has moved from you to the institution. In a blockchain world, you get to keep the privacy, you get to keep the control of your data, of your information, and only allow that uh, secondary source to see it when they need to see it so that you sort of maintain that big data control by providing the big data available on the mass community chain. It's a quite an interesting dichotomy in this world, but it actually is to the benefit of those big data um, exclusive initiatives. Very interesting. I, I have a sense that we're dipping our toe in the water of a topic that needs an entire show. We might have to do a part two, gentlemen. I will suggest that to Brad Borkin, who is the sponsor of the series. And if not, guess what? I'm grabbing the three of you for a topic like this on Coffee Break soon. Timo Elliott circling around the table. What do you think? We're talking about blockchain. What do you think? Well, so first of all, it, it's clearly going to be a huge gain in efficiency. Today, we have lots and lots of people and processes that are required simply because we can't trust each other. Um, entire banks and institutions and the notion of escrow, all of this exists because we can't reliably know whether something's being tra- transacted or not. Blockchain is going to solve a lot of that. But it also absolutely has a big societal impacts. One of the... <laughs> One that came up the other day is um, I'm based here in Europe, and we have something that's called the right to be forgotten. So um, you have a right to know what information is being held on you and then have that information be deleted if it is false. Um, But what happens in the blockchain world where everything is immutable and it can't be deleted, it's stored cryptographically and uh, no one organization can get rid of it even if they try. What then happens with uh, if society has decided that being forgotten is a respectable goal? Um, We're going to see a lot of those kinds of clashes going forward. Fascinating. I just looked that up, Timo. I don't think I've heard it before. Right to be forgotten. If you Google it, you get a whole Wikipedia page. Very interesting. Uh, Let's see. The right to be forgotten is a concept that has been discussed and put into practice in both the EU and Argentina since 2006. Seriously, Timo, this has been around for 12 years. Wow. The issue has arisen. It's a big bone of contention, different approaches from different countries, U.S. and European approaches, uh, very much clashing with uh, People requesting, for example, that Google not provide links to certain information, for example, if it's erroneous. 
Of course. <laughs> of, of course. <laughs> well, wouldn't that be simple if we could all have that work for all of us in our social media presence? Absolutely. Gray, I'm going to let you wrap this topic up with a nice red bow before I move on to something from Paul Lewis. Since you started this one on blockchain, what do you think? Uh, anything you want to add, Gray? Well, just from listening to the responses, you can see that this is a very complex issue, and we've all sort of touched on the three tiers of what we're talking about here, the control of data, the anonymity of data, and the efficiency of data. And so this is this is a whole new world that we're talking about here. I mean, it's been around for a little while, but really in the last year, the mainstream has sort of caught on to the, what blockchain is, and we're really going to start seeing people embrace this technology. It's also important to deal with this now because we have, you know, ethical issues to deal with in the digital world. So it's going to be an interesting year. It certainly will. I think it already is. I think we're establishing that right now. Sidebar, gentlemen, uh, the article I was referencing a, a few minutes ago that I just recorded for, as a voiceover for the SAP Digitalist Flash Briefing, I was uh, referencing anthropologist Adam Graeber, G-R-A-E-B-E-R, who said... Uh, it's as if someone were out there making up pointless jobs just for the sake of keeping us all working. The side effect is a scar across our collective soul that virtually no one talks about and that subjects, quote, grave psychological harm on the populace. And there are references to 20th century thinkers, Karl Marx, John Maynard Keynes, and Bertrand, <clears throat> excuse me, Bertrand Russell, and the uh, in praise of idleness from 1935 from Russell. I'll stop there, but uh, that's what it, it kind of poked into my brain. I had heard that recently, so there we are. So, Paul Lewis, let's see. Do you want to talk about how the CIO's job, I'm looking at you know, CIO's job has changed? Do you want to talk about people development, which would be a good segue from what we've just been discussing about jobs? Where would you like me to go, Paul Lewis? I'll leave that up to you. Let's definitely talk about people development. It's a great, smooth transition. I thought so. Let me read this then. People de- I highlighted it already. People development will also become the primary consideration for innovation in IoT, Internet of Things, AI, artificial intelligence, and cloud. Creating, and here's the kicker, everybody listen up, creating a necessity to upskill, reskill, and replace expertise and experience across Disciplines. I'm going to let you fill in the blanks on that one, Paul. Fascinating. Go ahead. Sure. So large organizations have lots of people, lots of technology, lots of applications they need to deal with. But the reality is unless you're this massive technology mega vendor or sitting in a Silicon Valley you know, with $120 million worth of VC money or a massive industrial conglomerate who has lots of different businesses and lots of different uh, machines that they create, it's quite unlikely that the most intelligent and experienced technologists don't work for you. Quite simply, if you're, you know, Lizzie's Curio Shop in Radiator Springs, it's <laughs> unlikely you have the most advanced data scientists on your team, right? Yeah, for two reasons. A, you don't pay as much as, you know, large technology mega vendors, um, and you don't have the R&D money of a, of a massive uh, global industrial company. Right? You don't have the $8 billion it takes to invent something new. So the reality is um, you've got to think about how to add skill sets to your team, add data science to your team, add the concept of cloud or data center sort of modernization to your team, uh, add AI or analytics type skills to your team. These are complex, academic, experience-rich environments to which you need to uh, source and hire. And the complexity here isn't necessarily the source and hire because you can always find somebody who wants to live in Radiator Springs. 
The question is whether you have the skill set to determine whether that skill set applies to you. Do you have the skill set internally to determine that this is a junior, intermediate, or senior person in that particular discipline? Knowing that most of your applications internally are built by people uh, who have you know 25 years within your company, what they know is your applications, what they know is your business, what they don't know is the advanced academics of AI. So you've got to think about how to partner with organizations, have an ecosystem of talent to be able to upskill, reskill, and replace that expertise. And in fairness, a good portion will be replaced. A good portion will say, how do I uh, take my 1,000 people and bring 200 that will create the innovation I need for, for future success? Very interesting ideas. I like the idea of creating that ecosystem of talent where you can tap into it. Are we, before we go around the table to Timo and Gray, Paul, is the, does the gig economy kick into what you're talking about? Is this something where you would hire on a temporary basis, not as a part-timer, but as somebody who comes in for a particular project and then they go bye-bye? And that's Absolutely. it. How, how does that, does that work? It's ecosystems of talent, which might be companies of talent or smaller organizations. Or you might even think of this as sort of the fintech or VC world, where instead of having a large hierarchy of a 1,000 people, you actually have a team of teams, whereas the executives in IT play much more of a board of directors type of role to many small VC-like teams who are doing innovations uh, really fast, just like a, a set of fintech or regtech type of deployments. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, Timo Elliott, love to get your thoughts on this. Join us, please. What I find fascinating about this is that the more powerful the technology gets, the more important human skills become. I like using the analogy of uh, imagine a small corner store you know, a couple of centuries ago. Um, if you wanted to hire somebody to work in that store, you needed somebody who could do mental arithmetic who could add up the, the amount that the customer owed. Um, pretty quickly, Cash Registered took over that job, automated something that up until then you needed a human form. So people could then start hiring people for their people skills rather than their mathematical skills. Um, we take that for granted now, but we're seeing the same thing at a much higher level. If you're a doctor today, Part of your job is doing a diagnosis, crunching all of that data and trying to figure out what's wrong with your patient. Over time, we're going to be able to give more of that over to the algorithms. They're going to be more powerful because they're gathering that across millions of people. So how do you become a good doctor or how do we reward doctors? Well, for doing the things that they don't really have time for today, which is explaining to the patient or spending time with the patient. Um, the same with finance, less about number crunching, more about strategic decisions. So I think the advice I'd have for anybody who's thinking about the future and how they need to reskill is really it's about doubling down about what makes you different as a company or as an individual with a focus on what the computers can't do. And that's leading teams, uh, motivating people, those skills haven't improved much over the last decades, and we uh, have a big opportunity to do so now. Very interesting. I love where this is going. Grace Scott, I know you have something to add. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I want to just add a, a different layer to this, and it's something that sure. we talked about before on, on another show, is the idea of conversational computing, but the narrative conversational computing where uh, what everyone's sort of talking about on the show is that, that you could have 
skill, certain skills um, performed by humans, but then where that leaves off, you are left with a narrative conversational algorithm or AI that keeps guiding you, right, or it keeps guiding the institution. And that narrative kind of computing needs to happen where it understands context, it understands individual personalities, and it understands who's good at what and, and where they should be within the corporation or the industry, and supporting those people. And that takes an AI, a conversational AI. We're not there yet. We're just at the beginning of this with uh, conversational computing. But the narrative part of this, when you add that layer to this conversation, then you're getting into a really interesting uh, paradigm. Very interesting indeed. I'm going to circle back to Paul Lewis, who started this wonderful topic. Paul, anything you want to add about what Timo and Gray added to your start? Sure. I, I just add a more context around the cross-discipline aspect of it. Uh, when you upskill, reskill, replace resources, you're going to not have programmers for programmers' sake, you know, IT infrastructure for infrastructure's sake. You're going to have large sets of your organization that have a cross-discipline expertise, whereas the data scientist knows uh, uh, mathematics and statistics and the business itself. Uh, the, I, the application developer will also know how to uh, deliver their applications into the cloud. They'll be able to have the base you know, IT engineering expertise. And the business person will actually have IT skill sets. They'll have the means to do data science. They'll have the means to understand data and create interesting analytics. They'll roll up their sleeves and deep dive into the business model where they haven't been able to do that in the past. Fascinating. I, I didn't expect it to go in this direction, and I definitely think there's a part two in our future here. Let me circle around to Timo. Timo, there's something in your notes that's bothering me. I, I don't remember whether you mentioned it. I think it needs to be mentioned because it's bothering me, and it's called Algorithm Whisperers. Can you talk about that, please, Timo? I've, first, you go ahead and you and you play with some memorable, immortal lines from Irving Berlin and Annie Get Your Gun, and now you're talking about algor- Algorithm Whisperers. We've had Horse Whisperers, we've had Dog Whisperers, and now we have Algorithm Whisperers. I'm not going to read anything here. I want you to tell me. So, Timo, what in the world is this? This is, uh, it's that half joking here, but it's, uh, it's. Oh, good. Oh, good. good. I feel better now. <laughs> Go but ahead. It's exactly following on from what Paul just mentioned is about, we were talking about skill sets, um, and we're talking about the new jobs that are being created, need to be created to make the most of these technologies. We talked about data scientists and their data skills, but now we also need people that can translate those. Uh, key knowledge of algorithms and data with the context of business and the human condition. So the algorithm whisperer, the notion is that it's somebody who can coax the best out of the algorithms to get the right outcomes. At the end of the day, machine learning and these related technologies are incredibly powerful, but if you give them bad data and bad incentives, they're going to do the wrong thing very powerfully. And we need people who can actually make sure that these technologies are set up right to do the right thing, to understand the data set and the context so that we, um, the society as a whole actually benefits from them. So their key skill is, yes, about the technology, yes, business, but combining the two and uh, creativity. 
Very, very interesting. Timo, I'm remembering uh, one of my jobs when I moved back from Oregon to New York. A job was created for me in a company that was a correspondent bank. I don't know if any of you know what a correspondent bank is. It's not the kind of bank you walk in and get a money order. It's a back office bank for, and it was created for the savings banks of New York State back in 1933. And they talked to me and they wanted to hire me as a programmer because I, I was a programmer. I had a couple degrees in programmer analyst. I'd done that on the West Coast. And uh, then they stopped and they said, wait a minute, we're going to create a new, a new uh, job job situation for you. And I said, what's it going to be? And they called me a systems liaison, Timo. And here's what they did. They sent me to the New York offices and they had me talk to the users in the company and find out what they needed. What kind of reports did they need to do their jobs? In English, I spoke to them. Then they sent me back to the IT department on Long Island and they had me talk tech to the programmers in that department and explain what was needed on the people side that was needed on the IT side. Does that have any bearing? Uh, is that a, a harking back to what you're talking about, the whisperers? Was I an algorithm whisperer without even knowing it, Timo? Please help me here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's that sort of thing. Um, so, like, there, are, there are examples where it's understanding the human nature of a problem that leads to the solutions. I stumbled one across the other day where um, some people were baffled. It was a subway station, and every time a machine broke down, it seemed like the next day the machine next to it caught the disease, almost like it was mm-hmm. like influenza or flu. And uh, you can't make sense of that by just understanding the data science. It turned out that the maintenance crews would come and fix the first machine by taking a piece out of the second machine in order to fix the first one. Why did they do that? Because their contract said they had to fix it within a day or pay penalties. Um, So then they would come back the next day with a new piece for the second machine. Um, So it's the kind of bizarre bizarre data set that machine algorithm on its own could never deal with. It took somebody to actually drill into it and get their head around why on earth this strange numbers would be happening in order to fix it. Thank you very much. Gray Scott, let's talk for just a minute. We're almost at our predictions round. Uh, three minutes left. Gray, algorithm whispers. you believe in that? Any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's what we were touching on when I was saying earlier about the you know, contextual idea that an AI could, could speak to you, as you put it, in human language <clears throat> instead of tech. And uh, I think we're going to start to see more and more of that, where people need explanations of why their data looks the way it does. I mean, sometimes the data set is so huge that it, it, takes, an algori- it takes an algorithm and a computer to actually feed it back to you in a way that we can understand it. And as we sort of move forward into the future, we're going to see more and more of that, where we, where we have data that is so complex that no human can understand it. You're going to have to have a contextual... Uh, AI that can explain it to you in human terms. And what you two are talking about is is, is really il- illustrating that idea perfectly. I'm glad to hear that. And Paul Lewis, love to get your thoughts. I see this as an extension into the machine world. So these complex algorithms are, will be installed and implemented in you know small to very large machines that are operating in the real world. Well, that makes those machines significantly more complex, significantly more difficult to maintain, uh, significantly different impact on security and safety, especially when you think of 
things like self-driving cars that turn into self-driving buses, that turn into self-driving trains, that turn into self-driving airplanes. Well, that has a pretty big impact on just simple things like maintenance, where it's not just the mechanical problem that might have an issue, but it might be the logical problem that might have an issue that you're going to have to resolve. So the mechanical aspect of maintenance now changes from using a wrench to using a laptop to fix those issues. And then when we bring it back to um, the sort of the ethics side of these algorithms, I, I always think of sort of the paradox of AI, or the paradox of big data, where now the transparency issues are becoming apparent, where enterprises are collecting information from you and not necessarily telling you what they're doing with it, or the machines are collecting information on your behavior and not telling you what they're doing with it, or your identity is changing, where uh, the more data that you collect, the less likely they'll be able to identify an individual, the more likely you'll be able to put into a group, and it's quite possible that your group isn't exactly your decision. And then finally, control, where uh, if the machine is driving you, the machine has the control, and you lose the capability to turn left or stop when you need to, and there's some security and safety that has to be considered in a world like that. Thank you. And I, I, one sentence in Timo's notes on algorithm whispers is jumping out at me, and it says, and we need a lot of ethicists to help us consider what we're doing with this technology. I'm going to leave that one on the table for another time. Timo, I'm coming around the table to you. I'm going to give you, oh, my goodness, I think you can take 90 seconds for your predictions. No hurry. <laughs> no rush. Uh, and by the way, you were uh, you joined SAP through the acquisition of Business Objects, where you were the eighth employee, 20 three years ago. So if there's an anniversary in there somewhere, happy anniversary, Timo. Glad you stuck around. So Timo, what would you like to predict for us? What's the future time frame? 90 seconds, they're all yours. Go ahead, Timo Elliott. All right. I have a dream that 2018 is the year that we start accelerating our ability to manage people and motivate people as fast as we improve technology. All right, tell me more. Who is motivating these people? Who is managing them? What kinds of companies? Are we talking we startups? The, big- science, the science of management and the science uh, is, has stalled for many decades. Um, we have an opportunity now to automate what's boring about jobs and double down on what makes us human and what we can do better to imp- use all of that great technology to improve society. Talk to me about science of management. Is this something people will study as part of their college degree? It will be part of, uh, of, of a, a master's, an MBA perhaps. Where are they going to learn the science of management? Who is it well, for? Maybe, you know? maybe this is where the data and the algorithms actually start teaching us how to manage people better. So maybe the, the algorithms start uh, helping us figure out what it means to be human. Oh, my goodness. Algorithms may start teaching us what it is is to be human. I'm tweeting that. I'm tweeting that. That's what we're doing with a silicone cover on my keyboard on top of a scarf so it doesn't make noise. This is not easy, guys. This is really not easy. Thank you very much, Timo. Very provocative. Gray Scott, he didn't use all of his time. I'll give you 90 seconds as well. Go ahead. Well, I want to go back to this idea of the driverless uh, revolution, which is what we're sort of entering right now. And people think of it as just for cars. Right? When you talk to general, the general public, they say, oh, I've heard about this driverless car thing. But they don't really realize that any sort of brick-and-mortar situation, any sort of event that you want to experience, any sort of place that you go, can be made autonomous and can show up just in time for you. So, spa 
driverless spa, driverless hotel, driverless store, cafes, any, any experience that you want to have. <clears throat> and, and I've said this recently, I think fu- future generations will look back on this time period and wonder why we wasted so much time driving. They will, they will scoff at the idea that we actually sat for hours behind a steering wheel instead of using that time for the things that we enjoy. And so I think that's sort of where we're headed. Now, five years ago when we were talking about driverless cars, people said, oh, it's going to be 2025, 2035 before driverless cars come. And I was telling people, no, we're talking about 2017, 2018, 2019. This is when it's going to happen. And as we've talked about before on this show, the, al- the algorithms are getting much more complex. They're being developed faster and faster, and they're starting to, to actually alter themselves, and literally alter themselves, upgrading their own operating system. And that leads to an exponential change in technology and an uptake. So I think in the next year to two years, you're going to see these really novel things that are going to appear. And CES just happened, and one of the things that was displayed there was a, a driverless store. A, a, a literally fruit and vegetable store that comes to you in a, in a driverless autonomous car. So we're already starting to see the beginning of this now. Wow. I have to, I have to stop you. I need to give uh, 90 seconds or just barely 60 to Paul Lewis. Paul, I'm looking for a fascinating prediction from you as well. Go ahead, Paul Lewis. Sure. I, I'm going to take the enterprise perspective in here. And, I, and I'm going to say that the digital economy, the new consumer economy is changing how uh, the business of the enterprise will uh, will operate in the future. It's generally referred to as digital transformation, where the operations and logistics of the company only matters based on the consumer's perspective of what they do. Uh, the experience of the buying experience will change uh, to match the selling experience, where uh, I need to be where the clients are instead of the clients coming to me. And then new business models where if I'm going to compete in this digital economy, I better uh, sell my products and services the way consumers want to buy them. If they want to buy them subscription, then I can't sell it for $100. Uh, This new sort of digital economy is creating this digital transformation strategy, which means the CIO's job or the IP's job moves from being this delivery executive where I'm worried about uh, blinking lights in my data center and red, green, yellow projects to that of an IT business executive, where they're focused on revenue growth, focused on maintaining and creating new client segments, um, and focused on ensuring that the investors are happy with the health of the organization. Wow. I want to thank the three of you. This has been eye-opening, ear-opening. I feel like I'm a driverless host right now because I want to come to each of you and have you teach me everything that you've been talking about. Our topic has been IT Trends 2018-19, what they mean to you and your, your business and your personal life. We have certainly covered a broad range of aspects of this. Special thank you to our three panelists who helped kick off the new year, new season of the Future of the Future with Game Changers. Timo Elliott, thank you. Gray Scott, thank you. And Paul Lewis, thank you so much. Appreciate all of you. And I know Christine Evans is listening and Jane Liu, a new intern on my team, is listening and tweeting. Thank you very much, Jane. I see you. And a shout out to Brad Borkin, sponsor of the series, and Susan Walker, and as well, Aaron, our fearless engineer at World Talk Radio. So 
Here, it's time for my call to action. Oh, come on. It's the same one as always, but it still works. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'll be back in one hour at 12 noon Eastern with the season kickoff of Financial Excellence with Game Changers. You don't want to miss that one. We're talking about the tech-savvy CFO. Are you? Is your company ready? Are you one? There you go. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.